Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Do people from different cultures experience the paranormal in different ways? What's the UFO scene like in the Philippines? Are there Bigfoot sightings in Southeast Asia? Hello and welcome to the 801st broadcast of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Uh, today we welcome a great new guest on a subject area that doesn't really see a lot of coverage and so we invite you to uh, send us your questions uh, or give us a call. So the number is 401-766-1240 from anywhere. Or if you'd prefer to not call us and use uh, some sort of script uh, email, uh, paulbehindtheparanormal.com or you can contact us by... Uh, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Adele Casales Rocha has traveled to over 26 countries and has compiled accounts of terrifying and uncanny experiences in both her native country, the Philippines, and abroad. She is also a trained therapist and amateur travel photographer. Adele starred as Eliza Simon in episode two of the pilot UFOs Over Earth while she was a field investigator for the Mutual UFO Network. Her personal experiences with the bazaar have led to a lifetime investigating sightings and paranormal events through eyewitness reports. Adele is also a screenwriter of science fiction and horror with over 11 screenplays placed in competitions in the United States. She has adapted for the screen books by Philip Mantle, good friend of ours, and Paul Stonehill, who are prominent investigators and authors in the field of ufology. She lives in Pennsylvania. So Adele Rocha, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Hi, how are you? Glad to be here. Well, it's great to have you with us. So, let's get started with uh, a seemingly simple question. Or, well, not so simple. It's, it's more, of an anthrop- <laughs> more of an anthropological question. And um, it's one that we, I find myself very, very interesting and always a fun one to ask. Do people from different cultures experience the paranormal in different ways, or do they just use different names for the same phenomenon? You know, it's it's interesting because that's actually a pretty complex question. Uh, and from an anthropological point of view, you have to look at the setting of the Philippines and a little bit of its history. And I, I don't mean to be long-winded. No, no, go it's ahead. It's just that it's, it's, it's a rather complicated question. And from the angle of an anthropologist, uh, you're looking at a society that has seen plenty of tragedy in the form of battles, uh, and wars, and the last one being World War II. Uh, because they have been colonized uh, a few times, the, the longest one being by the Spanish, which spanned 400 years, it is deeply embedded in that culture, and even to the present day, uh, the idea of uh, a, a god, a deity, a, a triune god, uh, and the idea that there is angels and demons. Um, Can I just interrupt for a minute? Uh, there was yeah, something, go ahead. something yeah. I was supposed to say, but I didn't. Uh, Adele is coming to us via Skype today, and uh, she does not have a webcam, so we're just showing the, the static screen uh, when she's speaking. But that, that's just for the benefit of our, our, our listeners. I, I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead, go ahead Adele. Very interesting uh, stuff. What, what I was going to say was what's interesting is that through the lens of Roman Catholicism, of which about 99.9% uh, of the inhabitants of the Philippines are. I believe there's probably a 1% population that's Muslim. Um, and that's way down south at this point in time. I, I don't think that there's been any proliferation since then. Uh, it's strategically in the center, geographically, 
So it gets an influx of information from both Asia uh, and the entire Pacific Rim. But because of the heavy influence of the Spanish culturally and religiously, even in cuisine, the interpretation of uncanny events, paranormal events, as we would call it, is through the lens of a Roman Catholic. Hmm. Uh, I was born and raised there. I moved to the U.S. Uh, actually just next door to you in Connecticut. Oh, uh, Connecticut. When I was, yeah, I'm from Connecticut. I mean, Should I, have I had can't you in say studio. I'm from Connecticut. <laughs> I'm sorry? <laughs> Should have had you in studio. Oh, uh, well, I'm not in Connecticut anymore. Um, oh, you're not? All right. I'm, I, I'm actually in Pennsylvania now, but um, okay. I, I actually spent my teen years and my college years uh, in Connecticut, uh, I went to Fairfield University, mm -hmm. uh, just to give you an idea where I, you know, came from. That sure. particular southern corridor of uh, Connecticut, and I actually have traveled to your beautiful state and probably will again. Um, but as far as the history of the Philippines, everything is perceived from the lens of a Roman Catholic. So when you have these sightings, uh, whether they be alien you know, origin entities uh, or disembodied um, spirits or souls or ghosts, whatever, you know, the audience wants to name them. They are seen or as either benevolent or malevolent. Okay. Uh, and and what, I, what I have captured through the years from having lived there uh, in a particular neighborhood, which I can discuss at length if you would like me to, uh, is that the usual response of people there is to say that it's either demonic force or angelic. Uh, things that are different, uh, that have caused havoc are seen as needing prayer, blessings, or even an exorcism. Uh, that's very interesting because, uh, many of our listeners, uh, local listeners here in Rhode Island and Southeastern Mass are, are Roman Catholics. It's a highly Roman Catholic area. Mm. And mm -hmm. I myself mm -hmm. spent, uh, from the age of 14 to 22, I was in the Roman Catholic seminary. And that's when I started doing paranormal work and I know exactly where they're coming from in the Philippines, yeah. I think, you know. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. yes, by all means, uh, please, uh, and Ben, I guess I had a second question that will lead into the rest of the, uh, the point. I mean, that's kind of that's what, that's what I like doing. Yes, <laughs> stringing things together. So, okay. in your own uh, case files, are there any particular phenomena that kind of dominate most? Like, do people report, you know, um, certain types of UFOs, whether they're triangular, circular, or strange creatures, ghosts? You know, yeah, wh whether benign or malign, as you outlined. Yes. Uh, the, the interpretation of people there is if it brings healing or brings insight that is it's pretty much benevolent. And I think that's universal, um, Paul and Ben. I think all over the world when people encounter these things, they first encounter it uh, with a lot of trepidation, with a lot of fear, obviously, uh, until it brings forth either something that is desired by the experiencer. Uh, it, and even here locally in Pennsylvania, you know, the interpretation remains the same. So th there's a universality from what I've noticed through all the different places that I have visited with people who actually uh, shared uh, their accounts with me, which I'm grateful for. There's a perspective that if it's a positive uh, interaction, that it brings about some type of, and I've seen, you know, 
events where people uh, have told me they think that the encounter caused them to be more sensitive about their health. Interesting. That's uh, interesting. I've 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 always found that kind of kind of fascinating how how people kind of react to certain phenomena. Um, mm-hmm. It's like uh, like the Bell Witch, right? That's that's kind of one we we always like to point out where this this you know this thing that kind of started out as a poltergeist ended up kind of taking on a life of its own and um, mm-hmm. you know would, people people would get you know agricultural advice from it it would do matchmaking and do all of these things that were seemingly good but then weren't always good so I guess the question would be is is the um, is if if something positive does happen from an experience does it always stay positive or does it kind of sour over time it's interesting there is a um, I don't know if you had a chance to read my book but there is one I've only had a chance to start it okay so there is a prevailing theme that goes all the way almost halfway into the book uh, about a particular family who actually was in my neighborhood as I was growing up Um, and this family was plagued repeatedly by a negative force so over time I have to say it's safe to say in the case of this particular family and the people who unfortunately became associated with them that it remained negative uh, that was our next question was about that family so your psychic powers are on a roll today I think that with that family, what's happened to them through the years is not only were they broken apart, uh, the marriage was disintegrated, and, and just to give you a background, not, not to go on and on. Um, no, it is a talk show, it, please. Yeah, yeah. So in in the book, it opens with a young woman's encounter that started when she was still seven years old. And you're looking at at the height of World War II. Her father was a medical doctor. Her mother was training to be a dentist at the time and then had to discontinue her studies. There were four children in the family uh, when the Japanese invaded the Philippines. So we're talking here in the 19, early 1940s. Uh, I, I believe, and I've said this before in a couple of other talk shows, that there's always an inciting event that leads the experiencer, and when I say experiencer, you know, the witness or the direct uh, participant, in this case, this young woman who uh, encountered this malevolent spirit at age seven. I believe that the inciting event for this family started with this young woman who encountered a malevolent nun, or at least it looked and appeared, presented itself as a malevolent nun. Hmm. Uh, in a Roman Catholic nation, that is very, very disturbing that you have a figure that is usually perceived as being holy, that it is, you know, a part of God, or in this case, married to Christ, as the Roman Catholic tradition holds for nuns, uh, to actually attack a child, and this is a disembodied spirit. So in one chapter of the book, we see this young girl running with her mother in Luzon as the Japanese forces were taking hold of the island. They'd been separated from from their father, 
who happens to be or was recruited by the army to be in a MASH unit because of his advanced medical skills. Mm -hmm. So the mother then flees with the four children, the youngest being about two or three years old. The oldest, I believe, at the time was only about ten. And as they're fleeing on foot and trying to hitch a ride through the tropical jungle, in the dead of night they finally end up in a clearing where the only sound they hear are basically the cicadas and the sounds of the night, the frogs and whatever else. And at that point they were hungry. They only had the clothes on their back. And they were trying to get whatever they could in order to replenish themselves, you know, whatever was in the tropical jungle. And you know that's full of hazards. So yeah. when this young woman and her four children in tow encountered this convent in the middle of the jungle, of course they wanted to go in because the first thing they wanted to do was find some kind of a door that would seal them from the outside and any kind of danger that might have been following them. So they did that. And this young woman, who is the focus of the first, I would say, first 20 chapters of the book, um, found herself roaming the halls, which is very unusual for a seven-year-old child. But she was extremely courageous, uh, very adventurous, and she found herself on the second floor of this stone convent. Now, you have to remember in this backdrop of the Philippines, a lot of the homes back then and a lot of the buildings were Spanish-style. So mm -hmm. picture a huge building made of stone with a terracotta roof. Windows are open into the night. And they're usually pretty high because there's no air conditioning. So the wind would flow from window to window. And as she approached this one hallway, you could see the detritus of war. You could see that whatever place that was had been somehow hastily um, left. They were suggestions of the area having already been invaded. And the fear of the young mother was that they would, found bo they would find bodies or, or maybe even people who were dying. Okay. She was glad that there was not. But this young woman, who was seven at the time, entered this room. And at the very end of this room, she saw a series of beds that were already made. And you know, Paul and Ben, if you're exhausted and you were terrified all day and you were fleeing for your life, the first thing you want to do is just lie down when you see a bed. Mm. And lie down she did. And as she lay down, she instantly fell asleep, remembering she was looking out a window that was totally open, but somehow in the dead of night she woke up sensing that there was presence in the room. Okay. She turned on the bed to find that there was something, some figure that was floating coming from the door that she had entered a few hours ago and it was floating towards her. And she could not move and she could not scream. It was almost like sleep paralysis. Mm -hmm. And as the thing approached her, she could see it was a nun in black habit and as the face revealed itself, it had a look of hate with blazing red eyes. And you know, Paul and Ben, universally, 
anywhere in the part of the world when you see the color red and a figure that is exuding hate, you know in your heart that it's malevolent. Yeah. It reached for her and it punched her in the thigh and left a symbol on her inner thigh that did not disappear until she was 22 years old. Did you? You didn't see it then yourself. I did not see it because by the time I met her, she was fully an adult and okay. it had already disappeared. Okay. So this convent was it? Was it? Was it a known convent? Did people ever go there? Is it? Could you find it today? I did not. I actually went back to the Philippines. I'm trying to think now. It's 2019. I think the last time I was there was 2013 mm-hmm. or 2012. Even uh, I stayed in an area that also was intensely haunted because it was massacred by the Japanese. Got to see a university that still to this day is haunted by the screams of priests. Uh, and soldiers who were tortured in the basement of a university gym. I'm not going to name the university for obvious reasons. Sure. Mm. Uh, but I, I did talk to some of the people. I visited the area that this young woman um, lived in uh, as a young adult when she got out of college um, and kept in touch with the rest of the family. Uh, and, and they're still being plagued by, we don't know what they are. Uh, there are several different sighting, sightings of things. Um, the young woman who wanted to become a dentist, her, her mother, um, had encountered something above the roof of the house, which you would probably call a UFO. Uh, it gave her first-degree burns on her face. Wow. So we've had all sorts of things plaguing that family and, and the neighborhood, as a matter of fact, that they lived in. Interesting. Now, uh, to go back to the convent and the bed, and she had this mm-hmm. sighting, and wh- where, where, was, where was her mother at the time and the rest? The mother and the other three siblings had sequestered themselves on the first floor, on the ground floor. Apparently, she had wandered off, never told them that she was sleeping on the second floor because she had found these beds. She was very headstrong. Okay. Uh, and, and, and finally, when the creature or whatever it was had hit her, she finally was able to scream, and that's when it just kind of disappeared. Okay. Uh, she found footing. She darted out of the room, ran down the stairs, and her mother started yelling for her, um, trying to figure out what had happened to her, and the other siblings were very concerned. Uh, and that's when they first saw she told her something had hit her, uh, and, and they saw a mark by candlelight on her inner thigh. Okay. Uh, and I have been asked this a number of times, what was the symbol? And she could not explain what the symbol was, but it was not anything religious. It was not a cross. It was not a fleur-de-lis. It was not anything that resembled any type of a saint's icon or anything. It was a signet ring, and it had a mark on it that was not something she could decipher. When I've encountered creatures like that, and I have on many occasions. One it was in the context of protecting a little girl in a house that was things were going on. The impression I got was completely alien. 
Now, in the early days, we expected that these were demons. I was working with priests and, and things of this. And uh, the, this, there was the unquestioned assumption was these were demons in, in the old theological classical sense, which is what the context um, of your situation seems seems of your of your uh, of this little girl's encounter seems to have been because of the background you've given us. Mm-hmm. So, um, but had, have you yourself considered other possibilities for the identity of uh, th- this creature? You know, sh- should the the uh, story you heard be accurate, or, or other creatures you've encountered or, or heard uh, wit- eyewitness accounts of from the Philippines or anywhere else? I mean, what do you think this was? My my personal opinion from what I've gathered from the people I've spoken to that somehow this creature precluded the appearance of something more evil. And I believe that, and and I I know I sent you a photograph which is included in the spine of my book. Mm -hmm. Uh, The audience can't see it. and I am told it can only be seen uh, in the mirror of that armoire. What, what it is, let me just backtrack a little bit. Uh, the photo that I sent you, gentlemen, which is included in the spine of the book, is a photo of a bedroom in which there is an armoire with a mirror. There are two things that are unusual about the photograph. The photograph was taken by a relative uh, of this young woman who was seven uh, when I started the story. Uh, She did not own the armoire. The armoire belonged to her mother, the one who was going to become a dentist and fled up the tropical jungle with her. Oh, Ben has put that on the screen for anybody receiving the TV feed. Uh, okay, you'll be that's able to great. See, be able to see what so, uh, Adele's talking about. <laughs> so, for those of the audience that might be sensitive, and when I say sensitive, not emotionally sensitive, as in being able to see with another eye, there is something behind the glass. There is also the possibility of seeing something by the window. And what I have been told by the person who took the photograph as well as other people uh, who is, are in the area is they believe whatever is within the mirror is the same creature that had attacked that young girl. Yeah, I can see it and I'm pretty skeptical, you know, about these okay. things in general. Uh, this also will be placed on, a, with your permission, Adele, uh, sure. placed on our yeah. uh, talking points page for this show at BehindTheParanormal.com once we update it this afternoon. So anybody who doesn't have the TV yeah. feed will be able to see okay. it as well. So my opinion is that in this family, something is actually following them. Uh, it, it could be more than one. As you know, when someone has a haunted house or a person is haunted, in this case, which I believe it is, uh, it, it's more than usually one malevolent entity that's present. Yes, uh, if, if I may, yes. that, 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 yeah. that is exactly in line with what we found, uh, and I started finding that in the 1970s. Uh, we, uh, I came to the conclusion by the end of the 70s that these were parasitical entities, and uh, we've since lined them up into about nine different species, including the farmers, as we call, you know, who will follow families for generations. We run into that all the time, so we're, we're right on the same page with you on that. Yeah. 
So I'm glad you were able to give it a name because I, I, I really was kind of like digging for, you know, what kind of an explanation can I give this family? Uh, the, the reason why that room was photographed, he was photographing all the rooms in preparation for attempting to sell it. So <laughs> I, I don't know too many people, especially in the Philippines, that are willing to purchase this home. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Of course, I'm not going to disclose the location. I know some people in the U.S. would love to live in a haunted home, you know, just to be able to experience what that's like. I, I mean, I give them my blessings. I, I would not. I would steer clear of that home. Yeah, um, well, we, we do I, have listeners in the Philippines, so, uh, you know, okay. <laughs> probably a good idea. <laughs> Yeah. Well, just uh, as a matter of interest, uh, we're about 10 miles from the house where the conjuring events uh, supposedly took place in 1972 or so, and we, or before that, and that was just purchased by uh, a gentleman whom we know, uh, and uh, I don't know what, I guess they're, they're going to uh, have uh, investigations there and all sorts of things. Uh, so we'll see how that goes, but... Um, there are people who would want to purchase a quote unquote haunted house, I guess, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and this house, uh, you know, that is in the photograph is a very old one. It was built, uh, in the 1870s, I believe, 1876 or something to that nature. Uh, it belonged to the gentleman who was the medical doctor that was recruited for the MASH unit. It was his parents' home. At the time it was built, there was really no awareness that perhaps it was built on unholy ground. And you have to remember, you know, for those of you that are aware of the size of the Philippines, it's an extremely small country. Uh, it's a little bit smaller than England. And it is separated by water thousands of islands um, the largest one is up north it's Luzon which has the capital which is Manila and it's a very modern metropolis probably more bustling now you know it seems like every time I visit it radically changes mm -hmm. but you still have these pockets and during that time right after World War II people built you know, after the war ended, there was an aggressive move to get on with life. So people went about repairing their lives. Uh, and not just in that location, but about 50 miles outside of Manila is the town of San Juan. At the time, that was a very small town. And during that time frame, it was basically open land. And unwittingly, Paul and Ben... That family built on that land, and supposedly there were bodies of Japanese soldiers underneath and in the backyard of that home. Mm. Well, we're, we're going to stop there just for a moment to take our bottom-of-the-hour break. Uh, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON, 1240 AM and 99.3 FM in the beautiful New England uh, Valley here of the Blackstone River. And we'll be back with our terrific guest, Adele Casales Rocha, in just a moment. So stick with us. Hi, this is Joe Callahan, host of Coffee and the longest-running panel discussion show in American radio. 
You never know what topic will pop up on Coffee In. So join us weekday mornings 8 to 9 on ON 1240 WOON Woonsocket Radio. And we're back behind the paranormal here on ON 1240 and 99.3 FM. And we are with our very interesting guest today, Adel Casales Rocha, author and uh, screenwriter and, and researcher, folklorist. And, and uh, we're talking about uh, the uh, paranormal situation in uh, Asia particular, and in particular uh, the Philippine Islands. And uh, Adele, just uh, you're carrying the show beautifully, so just, Thank you. just continue <laughs> where you left off here with the, talking about the... Um, you know what we have we have serious doubts about whether much of this is about dead people but that's us so please uh, but, but obviously the belief is there uh, the background you gave us the roman catholic background well it's not so much death i think it's it's the the negativity that Perso- was, yeah. that was yeah. kind of like left such a like a, like get a much hole. more negative and and yeah. just before i said just to give a little historical background uh the philippines before world war 2 were uh us Protectorate, U.S. territory, Commonwealth, whatever, and the Japanese invaded it on the day after, well, actually within like ten or twelve hours of the of the attack on Pearl Harbor uh, on December. This would have been December eighth, nineteen forty one. So that that's the whole terrible situation that occurred that uh, Adele is uh, having as the background to these things. So go ahead, Adele. I'll I'll be quiet. Okay. So um, I, I would have to preface this though that I, I would have to say that by rights the Philippines is a beautiful country it is still continuing to be a tourist destination uh, just for the benefit of the audience I don't want to put a negative pallor on the entire island there are some beautiful places and sacred spaces there where you're not going to witness this type of malevolence or destruction and things of that nature uh, it, to me the sense I have is, and, and yes, Paul and Ben, I, I agree with you, it's not just about ghosts or dead people that have encountered, uh, or people that have encountered tragedy and died, you know, violently. Uh, it's also because I believe, and, and this is just my personal belief, I, I don't know if you share this or if the audience shares this, Sometimes people have a tendency to magnify something negative. Mm. Uh, and sometimes they're retelling, and we're doing it right now, um, the telling and retelling <laughs> of negative entities and what they've done sometimes uh, magnifies the effects just because, you know, in higher, in higher dimensions, when... And this is true of both polarities when people pray or gather to pray. You're actually inviting in something that is a much higher entity of light. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when you're gathering together um, and talking about a negative entity, you're also kind of like sending vibes out. Not, not on purpose, uh, but like what you would do with an Ouija board when two or three or four people are gathered and they're trying to maybe get the attention of something or something is hearing uh, that they're talking about them, you get that vibe. And I personally, because I am still Roman Catholic, even though I do have a lot of beliefs that I'm sure the Filipino people would not agree with me, mm-hmm. uh, one being reincarnation, of course, and... Um, 
you know, we, there's a lot of other facets there that I borrowed from Hinduism as well. Um, I, I, I believe that there is a way to prevent them from invading your sacred space. I also believe that you have to understand that the nature of the multiverse is that these forces are present in order for reality as we see it to exist. Um, a, a physicist once explained to me that in order for one to see with your eye, the eye has to be moving right and left constantly. So you're, the eye is going from negative to positive in terms of seconds. And everything that is in existence right now goes through that flux of negativity and positivity in constant tension. That's so, a fascinating way to put it. It's almost like a necessity for things to exist. You have to have the negative and the positive. And, and that's for this particular three-dimensional reality. Hmm. So okay. that's what I've learned through the years. That's what I understand. Um, it's probably a lot more complex than what I'm presenting to you, than just that. Uh, but I believe that there's a constant battle between good and evil. And yes, it's not just about dead people. It's also the presence of these entities from different dimensions that are constantly battling for the souls of people. All right. Well, I might put it a little different. I mean, it amounts to that, but I'm, you know, I, and I don't want to get off topic here. We're talking about, oh, okay. you know, okay. <coughs> excuse me, dear. Uh, but, but never, we perhaps we could do another show on that. Um, I, I think there might be uh, a matter of just uh, nourishment. Uh, these uh, and we'll I'll, we'll send you the, our list of uh, there's from uh, the next book that's coming out next month. There's a, a list of the parasites. I'll send you that. Maybe we can get okay. a discussion going. But in okay. any case, uh, I think a lot of our, our listeners are interested in the UFO scene in the okay. Philippines, and uh, you know, it may be possible a crossover phenomenon and connections with it, with any negativity or positivity that you may have encountered. And I'll, I, we can start with a question that, that you, from our, our good uh, uh, listener, Peter, in South America, who said, uh, th and, and you had to qualify this earlier because we sent it to you in advance, that you're not a historian, but uh, can you um, address uh, the, uh, any... His first question was... Uh, uh, I'll give it to Ben because he's the question I'm, reader. I'm guy. really good at reading. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Just so, the first. So Peter writes to us, uh, please ask Adele to give a brief chronology of the modern history of UFO sightings in the Philippines. Yeah, if, if, you, could, if, you, less, yeah, if you feel comfortable doing that, yeah. I, I don't know that I'm actually qualified to do that. I know people who do, and I, I've always listened to my mentor who told me, if you don't have the correct answer, uh, always refer to someone who is the expert. Very well. Uh, and I will, I will definitely digress to to sharing uh, the name of a gentleman who I highly respect. Uh, he currently still lives in the Philippines. He runs an organization. It's called the UFO Society of the Philippines. All his members are qualified field investigators. Uh, they're very much like MUFON, uh, which is the 
you know, the large organization uh, that is based, I believe, right now in Colorado. Um, I was with MUFON for about a year and a half myself. Uh, during that period of time, I connected with Tony Israel, who is the president of the UFO, uh, UFO Society of the Philippines. He has the entire panoply of information uh, that, you know, our listener from South America can connect into. Uh, Tony, he goes by Tony. Tony Israel, last name is spelled just like the country Israel, okay. uh, is on Facebook. Uh, if he Googles UFO Society of the Philippines, he will probably find the website. Uh, they were pretty active. Um, they, they have investigated multiple sightings from all over the country. I believe they've had cases all the way down to Mindanao, which is the furthest point uh, that you can go without hopping into Indonesia. Mm -hmm. So there has been multiple sightings. Uh, the, the accounts that I have included in my book are the ones that incidentally came my way uh, because of this family and because of other people that I have talked to while visiting there. Um, the vast majority of the ones that have been seen are red orbs. And when I say red orbs, let's distinguish them from the orbs that you would see floating around someone's backyard perhaps or inside a home, which I believe are more like spirit orbs. These are orbs in the sky that are probably anywhere from 500 feet or even higher. And they are bright red, easily discernible with the naked eye. And when they move, they zigzag or they zip across the sky. Now, th there's a big difference between an orb, obviously, that's descending, that has a tail, and obviously that's a comet. These are actually orbs that are very bright and do not leave a trail. Those are the ones that have been seen within Manila and in the suburban areas, uh, maybe even as far down south as the vicinity of um, Calamba, Los Banos. Those are areas, little rural towns. Uh, the other one that was seen is from an account of a woman who was actually just retiring to bed. Uh, and in the book, I talk about the, her experience. She was trying to strain to look out her window. Uh, and in the Philippines, the older homes, the roof, the roofs of the homes extend out a little bit further because you have monsoon rains that might come in, in the window. So she was leaning out the window, and it's a casement window, attempting to see in the dead of night what it was that made the sky so bright that it was so bright as day she could actually see through the neighbor's window across the way. That's how bright it became. Hmm. And as she was straining to look, she could only see part of that brightness because most of it was right above the roof of the house. So she was overcome by sleepiness 
And she then laid down, and the next thing she knew, she woke up, it was morning. Her daughter was knocking on the door. And when she went to open the door of the bedroom, the daughter remarked, What happened to you? You got a tan. (laughs) (laughs) Close encounters. (laughs) Yeah, so... The, the kind of experiences that appear to happen there are of that nature. So it's like the second kind. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know of any third kind or fourth kind okay. types of cases. I, I know of quite a bit the ones that are here in the Box County area only because I was an investigator here. Um, but I'm sure they're universal. I mean, okay. they're all over the world. Now, are, are the people of the Philippines... Are they are they open to talking about their experiences, or is it kind of like a taboo? You know, it's interesting, because you get two sides. The older generation, I believe, are very much into, let's just not discuss that. They sweep it under the rug. Uh, but then again, you have the younger generation that are a lot more courageous in coming forward. Uh, there's also people that are afraid for what their employer is going to say. Uh, if they're in a prominent position, they really don't want to let on that they're that type of person that would experience that. Um, the people I've talked to, 100% of the ones in my book, will not disclose their true names. Uh, and I respect that. Uh, there's also a, a sense that if a person is experiencing something like that, may, maybe they're possessed. And immediately they talk about maybe sending them to the parish priest. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we have uh, Elise from Blackstone, Massachusetts, wants to know uh, <laughs> if Bigfoot is seen in the Philippines and what he's called there. Okay, that's an interesting question because uh, let me tell you, Paul and Ben, how I encountered the idea of Bigfoot here. Okay, we have a lot of sightings and we have organizations in Pennsylvania. Tell us about it. I've Mm. seen it myself in Pennsylvania. You have? Yes. Okay, well then you know. there's. uh, We've had dogman sightings. We've had Bigfoot sightings. Um, I think at some point there was an aggressive move to attempt to try and see if they could photograph it better than, um, I'm trying to remember the name of the photograph, Patterson Gimlin. Oh, yes. Photograph. You know, there's been hoaxes, of course. There's people who are just out there to kind of sensationalize it. Uh, but there's a, a few organizations. Eric Altman runs one. Oh, we know He's Eric. from Pennsylvania. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Friend of the show. Uh, yeah, and, and Lon Strickler and his crew oh, have uh, yep. done some. Yep, there you go. Great people. So, yes. Now, that is more obscure in the Philippines. And I don't know if it's obscure only because they don't want to terrify the rural populace. Yeah. Okay? There's farming communities, as we speak, that are still very active out there. Um, There's also, like, this aggressive move uh, to move to the towns and into the cities. And we don't really want to encourage a mass you know, emigration to the point where you're no longer going to have farms. Mm-hmm. I, I understand that completely. I really do. Um, but the name, you know, for the benefit of the caller, the name that was given 
came across my way of all things through a childhood cartoon. It was a comic book and the name of the creature was Bat Batan Utan. Oh. B A T B A T A N next word U T A N. Sounds vaguely Mongolian. It, yes. And and you know it's interesting that you say that because that country really is an amalgamation of different peoples. We've got people there from China. We've got people there from, probably I wouldn't be surprised, Mongolia. Yeah, right. Because we also have a Chinese population there. We have people from Singapore, Indonesia. So it, because it is central in terms of geography, it's had a lot of influence. And one of them, one of the stories that came my way was on a comic book. And I realized as I read it, you know, it was all in pictures. You could see a creature that pretty much looks like Bigfoot. It's got hair like Bigfoot does. It's got that nose and the human face, you know. And, and the stature of the creature in comparison to the people who were fleeing it. It looks to me like it was about maybe 11, 12 feet tall. Hmm. With the musculature and everything, so the the answer to the question is yes. Yeah, and yeah. and there's areas and stretches of that country that are still unexplored. Okay, now Adele, before we finish the hour here, please tell us about your website, your books, where people can find out more, and anything you'd like to promote. Okay, so uh, the name of my book is called Portal: A Lifetime of Paranormal Experiences. It is available on Amazon. Uh, it was published in the UK, but it is also on Amazon US as well as Amazon UK. It is available on Kindle and it is also available on paperback. Uh, I have Googled myself and it comes up, so I will say that if you <laughs> type my name, <laughs> or uh, unless you'd rather, rather type the entire title of the book, it's a long one, Portal, A Lifetime of Paranormal Experiences, it will come up on Amazon. Very good. Uh, so far, I understand it's gotten some really great reviews. Um, if people want to contribute a story to me, they can email me. My email address is cinegravitas, that's C is in cat, I-N-E, like the movie, gravitas, G-R-A-V-I-T-A-S, at yahoo.com. If I accept it, I will publish it in the next book that is coming up next year. Mm. Uh, and I will definitely send them a complimentary copy. I can be reached on Facebook under the same name. I am also on Instagram. Uh, on Twitter, it's a little bit tricky because it's named after my dogs. Fox and Rosanna. Fox, letter N, and Rosanna, R-O-S-A-N-N-A, -N -N -A, and my face will pop up. Okay. Outstanding. That's a, and as I said, I have started the book. It's very good. I can't wait to finish it. It's just, you know, I have um, piles of books to read on my desk, but I'm, I'm, this one's going to get priority. But um, you. your office looks like a wizard's tower. <laughs> yeah, somewhat, something like that. Uh, so uh, Adele, uh, now as far as um, uh, the Bigfoot thing is concerned, that that, that is an interest uh, certainly of a lot of our listeners. Uh, are there differences? 
that uh, you would see as one familiar with Bigfoot here in America and the the creature that you mentioned there, uh, the height alone, eight, you know, ten to twelve feet is uh, taller than most reports here. It's taller than the one I saw. Um, mm-hmm. What, what um, are there regional differences? Certainly in Asia, the Yeti is known and this sort of thing. But mm-hmm. what, what in particular yeah. um, about Bigfoot is different in the Philippines? And uh, what other sorts of creatures are seen? Upright canine cryptids, etc. Anything of that kind? Uh, we have uh, the Bigfoot that has been perceived or has been reportedly perceived. I, I have not really talked to anyone there uh, that is an actual witness. It's all rumor. Uh, it's supposedly a carnivore. It eats people. Oh, really? That is the Bigfoot that they understand to exist, the Batbatan Utan. Okay. Uh, there are other creatures there. One, uh, we we don't like to call them mumbo-jumbo, but uh, it, it is a, uh, a Tianak. And uh, a Tianak is a small creature with sharp teeth. It preys on children and takes them. Uh, drinks the blood of infants. Uh, there is one story in the book that pertains to that. This was actually told to me when I was in Thailand uh, because a member of our tour group strayed into the forest and the um, tour guide shared his story as a, as a way to forbid them from ever doing that again. Um, there is something called a capre. K-A-P-R-E, and our Filipino listeners can probably remember that. Mm-hmm. A capre is an elemental. It lives in the tree. And what it does, it's a nature spirit that protects the forest and the trees. That's another one. Uh, there's other, we also believe in dwarves and elves. Uh you know, th- there is a section in the book that talks about that. So there's all sorts of creatures. Uh, werewolves, I can't say that we've seen them. Dogmen, I don't know that we have, at least I am not aware of any accounts of that. Okay. Uh, given yeah. the, the Roman Catholic background that you uh, uh, so ad- so uh, explained so well earlier in the show, what do, how do people interpret a, a creature like Bigfoot just as... Uh, an animal, a gorilla-like uh, primate that's not known to science, or do they interpret it as a malevolent, uh, benign, or neutral? No, I, I think they see it as a flesh and blood creature. I, I don't think there's really anything spiritually or malevolently attached, except for the fact that somehow it it's a missing link. Okay. It's a missing link. It you know it, it's something to stay away from. Uh, there's a general foreboding that grandparents always tell the children is that, you know, stay away from the woods. There's things there you don't understand. Yeah. Uh, and Especially if you disrupt if the woods, yeah they'll, yeah, they'll eat you or, you know, you get these elves. And if, if you disrupt their mounds, mm-hmm. uh, their hiding places, uh, you will come upon misfortune. It sounds like something that's um, a, a local interpretation of a universal experience. Yeah. Yeah, you know, European little people, Native American little people, uh, mm-hmm. the the that we run into in the Bridgewater <laughs> Triangle, all this sort of thing that you don't expect. Uh, but it, it sounds um, uh, that there's a certain depth to it, though, that, because it seems to be very much a more prominent part of the of the human experience in particularly maybe the rural Philippines than it is in, uh, a, maybe around here. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyway. And, and it's more accepted is the impression I get from that. I mean, when, when people consult psychics over there, it's not a stigma. Oh, really? You know, okay. When, yeah. when they talk to someone who is like what you would call equivalent to here, a, a shaman. Okay. Okay. Uh, right. My local chiropractor, I believe, is a shaman. Uh, it, there's no stigma to that. If, if re- regular conventional medicine fails, people go to these people. Okay. Uh, and, and there's nothing wrong. All right. Well, I'm yeah. afraid we're just about out of time. There are more questions we have. We'll have to have you back. Great show. And once again, give us your website one more time, please, Adele. Okay. Uh, it, I'm on Facebook. I actually don't have a website. The website I have is for screenplays. Okay. But well, for anybody who good. wants to prowl, it's uh, under WordPress. Uh, it, it is not under my name. Okay. I do have a listing of photographs uh, of the anomalous things that I have photographed. That is, I have incorporated all of that into the book. Okay, excellent. Um, yeah, so, but the best thing to do is go on my, I have a like page under the same name and my Facebook page. And I regularly post on both of them to update people on the next book. Very good. Adele, thank you very much. We'll be in touch off the air and we'll, uh, we'll consider this the first of a series of shows. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, very good. Okay, let's get to our announcements. Uh, as everybody knows, we're working to restore the 11-plus years of recorded shows after a serious cyber attack on our show site, BehindTheParanormal.com. And we're back to most of 2012 at this point. Uh, we know a lot of people listen to those, and uh, thanks for your patience. Also, you can uh, hear recorded shows on most uh, podcast platforms as well, so we're duplicating. Indeed. So this Tuesday, July 16th, my dad and hopefully myself will be at the Linfield Public Library in Linfield, Massachusetts to speak about UFOs, most mostly local cases, uh, and that will be at 6.30 p.m. Details on the public events page at BehindTheParanormal.com. On Tuesday, August 6th at 7 p.m., we'll be at the Nashville Public Library in Nashville, New Hampshire, to present a program entitled Extreme UFO Encounters in New Hampshire and Beyond. And right after that, on Saturday, August uh, 17th at 2 p.m., we will be at the Haverhill Public Library in Haverhill, Massachusetts, to present on Extreme UFO Encounters in Massachusetts and Beyond. Uh, My book, Dancing Past the Graveyard, Poltergeists, Parasites, Parallel Worlds, and God, be released August 28th. We'll be in stores after that and we'll feature at our fall events. The official release will take place at the Toadstool Bookshop in Keene, New Hampshire, Saturday, September 21st, beginning at 2 p.m. Uh, but before that, we will be at the 2019 Exeter UFO Festival, where we will speak for the eighth year in a row, as well as do our fourth annual live broadcast from the show with a panel of the speakers. On And that is on Sunday, September 1st, from the uh, Exeter uh, Town, New Hampshire Town Hall, which is historic, I may add. And this great event is sponsored by the Exeter Area Kiwanis Club and benefits local children's charities. And uh, two of the fellows from the Allagash abduction of, of uh, 1976 are going to be there. Uh, I I've met them previously, Ben and I have met them, and they're really, really great people. I also wanted to point out our, our dear friend, Wahaba Hafsa al Mawid, I always have trouble with that name, otherwise known as Dr. C.S. Matthews, uh, has, is, is producing a wonderful book that's going to be out very soon, um, and it's called, uh, it's called A Mysterious Beauty, Living with the Paranormal in the Hudson Valley. We'll have more on that as we go, but it, uh, I'm sure it's going to be, um, I'm, I, I wrote a little blurb for it, uh, the table of contents is really amazing, so we'll, we'll keep you posted on that, especially when it uh, comes out. So um, what do we have coming up next week, Ben? So next week we have 
Let me get to the, uh, the, the, the page to give me the information on it. Yeah, so of. next week, we'll bring you an open line show with uh, our favorite guest co-host, Shane Searway. And we have, and, it's, and you know, we always have that ever-growing stack of emails that we've never been able to get through. Um, but we have all sorts of incisive questions from our listeners that we'll be getting to. That's right. And we refer you to the charities uh, page on our website, BehindTheParanormal.com. A lot of great charities, uh, Veterans Charities U.S. and Canada, and a lot of great stuff. But we know these people personally, so uh, your money, if you can donate, goes where it's supposed to go. So anyway, we'll leave you this afternoon with a thought from, of all people, Pope St. John the Twenty Third: Consult not your fears, but your hopes and dreams, unquote. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you behind the paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.